Welcome to PCOM Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Feldstein, and today we're talking with PCOM's Chair of School Psychology, Dr. Jessica Kandorski. As we continue to battle COVID-19, parents with school-aged children have been faced with the task of deciding their students' back-to-school plans. With each district employing their own plans for learning, be it in person, hybrid, or an entirely virtual model, this school year is sure to look different. Dr. Kandorski is joining us today to discuss children's mental health and what parents can expect with the return to school. In addition to her role as chair of the school psychology department, Dr. Kandorski is also the director of the master's program in school psychology and applied behavior analysis certificate programs. She is a licensed psychologist in Pennsylvania and maintains certification as a board certified behavior analyst and school psychologists nationally and in New Jersey. She actively works with school districts to improve systems for all students through the reform of school and district-wide academic and behavioral policies and practices. Dr. Kandorski has also led the development of the Applied Behavior Analysis Programs at PCOM, as well as the approval of these programs by the Behavioral Analysis Certification Board. Welcome back, Dr. Kandorski. Thanks, Dr. Feldstein. It's great to have you back. What do you think this school year will look like? So I think what's what's interesting, when we think about education and what education for all was born of, it 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 had this one size fits all way where we wanted to educate all of America's children. So we found the way to do it for the masses. And I think this with the pandemic it's necessarily made us be more flexible with our educational practices. So it's going to be more individualized. It's going to be more individualized for each family. So each family is going to have um, particular needs or a cost-benefit analysis, and some kids will be fully virtual. Some kids will be hybrid, half on campus, half um, not on campus. Uh, some kids might be there the entire time. And I think what is going to be the most different is that the flexibility that's required to make education more individualized and less of this one-size-fits-all approach. How can parents support their children and their mental health during these difficult times? I think the first thing is the component of safety. So, When children are anxious, it's because they feel out of control and that leads to them feeling safe. So as much as we can work on predictability, which is interesting at this time when it's hard to really predict anything, but focusing on what we can predict and and having kids um, understand that this is what we think things will look like um, and being able to control what we can control fostering agency in in our children. So if they're at home learning virtually, if they're in school, talking to them about what they can do to keep themselves physically safe. So when you go to school to keep yourself physically safe, you're going to wear your mask. This is how you put your mask on. So the agency to control that. With virtual learning, If you're learning virtually, here are the academic goals that you're going to work on. Here's what we're hoping um, you will get by the end of the week. And 
and having them feel more agency and more in control. And I also think probably the most important is for parents to focus on their own mental health. So knowing when they're in a space that isn't necessarily a good one, engaging in self-care as much as they can, um, because you can tell your kids that you're okay, but they will pick up on your energy. So being honest with them when you're not okay and doing things with that you are able to do in order to promote self-care. So you work on, as parents, your own mental health. And then finally, I would just say, you definitely want to ask your kids. You want to talk to them about their feelings. You want to um, you, you want to be honest, but also developmentally appropriate, and you want to look for red flags. So if there are individual changes in your child, maybe they're not sleeping as well, or they're angry, or they're more anxious or avoidant of things that they weren't um, anxious and avoidant of before, be aware of those red flags and then reach out to the school because the mental health professionals in the school, like the school psychologists, are there and they're working and they can help. So being aware of those individual red flags for your child. What effects do you think this will have on children's long-term development? Oh, that's such a good question because I feel like we don't really know since this is so unprecedented. But if I had to predict, I would say, based on the literature and what we know, the bulk of your kids will be okay. There's going to be different things that we're going to be looking for in terms of quote unquote okay. So academically, social, emotionally, mental health wise, I think the bulk of your kids will be okay. However, there are a segment of the population that because they were already, they already had some vulnerabilities that may need additional support. So if you had a child that maybe had a disability, beforehand, this lack of in-person instruction could be a problem where when the student goes back to school, as a parent, we would want to make sure that steps were made to close that gap so that they could catch up. If you had a student or a child that had a, a pre-existing difficulty with anxiety or depression, this could be something that because of that exacerbated that condition. So you would want to um, make sure that there were mental health services in place in order to um, intervene with any subsequent mental health concerns. So I think broadly, the majority of our kids will be okay. We will go back to school. Any academic goals, the gap will be closed. Any social emotional goals will be able to, um, to work on. But there is a segment of the population that because they were already at risk, where when we go back to school, additional steps should be made for these kids to ensure that any skills lost or any um, social, emotional, or mental health concerns, there's adequate intervention. All right. Thank you. You know, kids with autism, kids that are on the spectrum disorder, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they go to, you know, they have special needs in school. How does that get addressed in a virtual environment? So it's a great question. And I, I would say the social piece is probably one of the hardest things, right? So when you look at autism, autism by definition is a social 
diagnosis. So by definition, kids with autism have problems with and difficulties with social interaction. Doing social interaction virtually is very, very difficult for people who, for kids that don't have autism or kids that have autism. So I think it's a, it's a very real thing. Then you put the masks in place. Um, you, you know, we do direct instruction a lot of times for kids with autism to read social cues on faces. And at this point, they don't even exist, right? I mean, everybody kind of has a mask. So the the social piece, I would say, is really falling to parents and siblings and whatever pod is in the home to work on those social skills. Because virtually or in the in quote unquote public, you've lost a lot of that. Thanks. That was a great answer. Do you have any questions for me? I do. So um, my first question is, in your role as leader of PCOM, how have you worked to ensure that parents can successfully maintain their work responsibilities while also juggling the tasks such as I am and many others are of being like the homeschool mom? I think the key word here is flexibility. We've really worked hard with our HR department and with everybody's supervisors to maintain maximum flexibility so that people can, you know, meet the requirements of their jobs, that they can, you know, function, but they can also meet their, you know, their, their child care and educational needs. Because it's not just about homeschooling, it's about being home. I mean, it's not only that, you know, you've got a homeschool, but if you don't have child care, which is very difficult in this environment, somebody's got to be home with their kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've kind of bent over backwards and, and continue and will continue to do so to ensure that people have the flexibility so that they can do both to the best of their abilities. Thank you. And, and I can say I appreciate that. And I've always felt that communication from you and others that there was that flexibility and we were completely supported at this time. So thanks for that. My second question is, what steps has the university taken to promote positive mental health during the pandemic? I think we've strived to make sure that people are aware of the resources that they can access, whether it be through employee assistance programs. We've put out a lot of uh, webinars and webcasts, how to stay healthy, how to address your anxiety, how to address stress and keep pushing that out so people know that there are resources available for them to just reach out to their own uh, providers, whether it be physical health, behavior health, to get care if they need it, you know, that, we're, that we're here and there to support them. Because it is a very stressful time for everyone. So we're, we're just, just to continue to push out the resources that people know they can access. Yeah, definitely. And my final question is, how has the pandemic changed the university's preparedness plans going forward? It's changed it to the extent that we truly had to mobilize it in the sense, you know, previously, maybe most events will be weather related. So we'd have some type of emergency response. This just took us to a whole new level. And it, it forced us to be incredibly fast, nimble, and to assemble small teams to work quickly. So, you know, we shut down in a period of basically two weeks in March. 
We did it in a stage fashion. We met every day and reopening has been challenging. It's a lot easier to shut down than it is, is to reopen. But you know, we've met, we've increased communication. Everything's across the entire university. All three campuses are involved. And there's some things that we've learned during this that we're going to move forward. That means Zoom is a great way to bring everybody together. It's a great device to really be all inclusive and it levels the playing field. It's not like a group of people are meeting in person and then other campuses are remote. We're all remote. So it's very uh, egalitarian in that sense. And it just provides for fast, quicker, dissemination of information. The, the key in any crisis, especially this one, is communication. That or con communication has got to be consistent and it's got to be persistent. And we just have to get it across to everyone at every level, whether it be student, faculty or staff or and our patients. Yeah. So it's it's been challenging in that sense, but it's been rewarding as well. So I think we've got confidence in our ability to move forward because, unfortunately, this won't be the last crisis we'll have to deal with, whether it's a pandemic or, you know, natural events, hurricanes, whatever it may be. Great. Thank you. And I, I, I can attest to I've appreciated your leadership and all of the communication. Thank you. Well, uh, I've appreciated our entire workforce and faculty. It's been a difficult time and will continue to be a difficult time. This is going to be a long year. We're going to have fits and starts, you know, just like schools, you know, elementary, high schools are going to open, they're going to close, they're going to reopen, we're going to shift things around. You know, we've all got to support each other and be flexible and know it's not going to be perfect. But as I've said, every time I've communicated to everybody, Safety and health of everyone is first. And well, with that, you know, we kind of can't go wrong. So I just want to thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your insight into this ever-changing situation. Now more than ever, we all must be actively working to maintain positive mental health, especially for children, and ensure they are getting a quality education, whether in the classroom or at home. And that goes for our students as well. To listen to past episodes of this podcast and become a subscriber, visit our SoundCloud page or find us on iTunes by searching Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. I'm Jay Feldstein, and this has been PCOM Perspectives.